This is the Summit Life Ministries audio experience. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Age Changer Show. We desire to elevate the vision of the church to see their identity in Christ through the framework of God's eternal purpose. And we desire to equip people to live with an eternal perspective as we pursue our upward call in Christ Jesus. And finally, we desire to empower the church to live supernatural lives in faith-filled obedience. We have been on a series the last couple episodes where we are talking about the ongoing ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And in the last two episodes, we have just tried to lay a foundation uh, in some ways that contradicts and opposes what I believe to be a false doctrine in in the church called cessationism, where there are certain people that believe that there are no sign gifts or gifts of the Holy Spirit that are ongoing, an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, but that ceased when the apostles died out, that they were endowed with special power, but only them. They were elite group, and once the apostles of Jesus died, those gifts are no longer valid today. Then there are some that have modified that teaching and say, well, we see that there were people that were used in miracles and signs and wonders that went beyond the Uh, apostles of Jesus, the original 12. Uh, So we think that maybe the gifts of the Spirit ended when the canon of Scripture was complete. Well, the Bible does not say that the gifts of the Spirit have stopped or the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And if we believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and informs our faith and practice, well, I want my faith to be activated to where I am obeying what the Bible says. And so the people that many times say, well, we've got we've to focus on what the scripture says, and, and we shouldn't be getting off into gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's just stick to the Bible. That's what I'm doing. It is the Bible that teaches us about the grace of Christ that has been distributed to the body. It is the scriptures that teaches us that there is a great diversity in the gifts that the Lord has given to the church that helps equip her and empower her so that she can do the works of Christ, not just bear the fruit of Christ's likeness in his nature and character, but also can complete the work of God in the will of God by the power of God. It is foolish for us to think that we can accomplish the immensity of the task of the Great Commission in our own strength and in our own power. We need and have always needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 is a very favorite passage of scripture of mine where when God was speaking to Zerubbabel about the rebuilding of the temple and that great work of restoration of Jerusalem and there was Ezra and Nehemiah and other people that God sent back to the land 
to bring Israel into a period of reconstruction and rebuilding and restoration. The, the prophet Zechariah spoke to Jerusalem and he said, this will be accomplished not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the might and the power being human strength versus the power of God, the grace of God that is being made available to accomplish a task that seemed to be impossible for that remnant of people. Well, the embryonic church, the 120 on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus gave the great commission and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations of the earth and teach them and command them to obey the things that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that those 120 people looked at themselves and said, who, who is he talking about? How can we accomplish going to every nation, every ethnic group, every tribe, going to the ends of the earth and preach this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world? Well, Jesus said, I don't want you to go yet. Uh, until you've received a power that enables you to be able to do it. And so in Ephesians chapter four, in the last episode, we talked about some specific gifts, the ascension gifts of Christ, the fullness of Christ's ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, how this fivefold ministry, the Bible describes when they will no longer be sent or given to the church. It says until the church is fully equipped so that she reaches, and there were three criterias that are mentioned in the passage. It says until we reach a unity of the faith, until we attain a knowledge of, of the Son of God. In other words, what Jesus knows, understands, the fullness of his understanding and his knowledge. And then it says until we reach a mature stature, that is comparable to his. Obviously, the church is not there yet. So he is continuing to send apostles, prophets, and evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the church. Now, it's interesting how the enemy has targeted and singled out two of those five. All of them are important, but two of them are described as foundational to build the dwelling place of God, the house of God. And that is the apostle and prophet. Matter of fact, we're gonna read a passage of scripture in, in, in uh, a few minutes where Paul even talks about the priority and the necessity, the necessity of having these gifts come first and second in the church before others are released to minister because they provide a revelation of the foundation, and that foundation is none other than Christ himself. And so we're going to distinguish between the evangelist, pastor, teacher, and some of the things that they equip the church to do versus the ministry of the apostle and prophet. But before we get there, I want us to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at another passage of scripture that is used by cessationists 
to try to prove their point that certain sign gifts are no longer valid. But actually, when you dig into the entire context of the passage, you see that it contradicts the point that they make. It actually uh, states the exact opposite. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, and I may have misspoke just a, a few minutes ago. Actually, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is a text that they use uh, that tries to prove cessationists, but it, 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 it exactly does the exact opposite. Um, and, and we're going to look at that right now. But as you study the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, uh, they need to be taken as a seamless whole. Matter of fact, when you study the book of 1 Corinthians and you're looking at what Paul says about gifts uh, of God and, and the way they've been distributed by the Holy Spirit, it's important to read the whole book in context. Now, people have said that the, the church in Corinth was a church that abused gifts. Obviously, there was excess and Paul wants to give boundaries and he wants to bring clarity in how these gifts are used so they are maximized in a way in which they build up and edify the church. There is not one prohibition in the book of 1 Corinthians about any of the gifts, including the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy which many people would say are no longer valid today, specifically the cessationists. But you read it. There's not one prohibition. There are limits. There are, there are healthy boundaries that are created in regards to their use and their context within the church gathered, how they are to be manifest among the people of God so that everyone is benefited, so that everyone is edified when these gifts are used in a public context. But I want us to, 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 to put ourselves in Paul's shoes if we were serving this church apostolically and we heard that the way they use gifts are somewhat excessive and somewhat chaotic. Many times what we try to do is, is when we hear of abuse or misuse, like I said in one of the episodes, we've tried to bring such a correction that they're going to rarely be used or if there is trouble in the use of them, if there is the potential for misuse, we would just bring a prohibition and say, not here, not now, too messy, we're not going to to even allow them to be practiced uh, because it just creates too much confusion. What is amazing to me is the Apostle Paul in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter um, 1. And I want you to hold, if you've been following me in the text, I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But I want us to go back to chapter 1. And I, I want you to see Paul's fatherly perspective as he is going to teach them how to steward gifts when the church is gathered so that he creates kind of bumpers for them 
so that it becomes edifying and no one is abused and no one is self-centered or wrong motivated when they're using them. But thus see his fatherly approach to bring clarity and discipline to this church that seems to have gotten into excessive use in regards to some of the gifts. Verse four of chapter one, he said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God. Here is this this term grace of God or the gift of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And how has the grace of Christ manifest in and among the Corinthian church? What is one of the evidences that we see that they are a grace-filled people. Now, we would want to immediately look to the passage of Scripture, and we would say, well, it's going to reflect Christ-like character and Christ-like nature. Some of the things that we would say, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and faithfulness and temperance and self-control and, and, and those things. But he doesn't say that. He says this, You've been graced or gifted by Christ in every way. You were enriched in him in what? In all speech or utterance and in all knowledge, intimate knowledge, revelatory knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not minimizing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Christ-like nature and character being revealed uh, by what we call and describe the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul gave God uh, thanks uh, for in regards to what he observed and he saw at work as evidence of the grace of God in the Corinthian church. He said, you, you are effervescing in spiritual utterance. The Holy Spirit is anointing you as you speak and, and you're prophesying and you're speaking in tongues and, and God is using you with revelatory things and the knowledge of Christ is coming through what you're saying to each other. Now, if, if I were going to, to correct a church, I would not say, guys, I, I want to say, I see Christ at work in you by how you're prophesying and how you're speaking in tongues and how the Holy Spirit is anointing your utterance and how you have revelation. Well, Paul, in this correction, wants them to know this is not a prohibition. This is not a restriction to a point where it's going to be pruned back to where it's no longer going to be visible. And so he starts out with a, with a commendation saying, the grace of Christ is flowing in you richly. And it's an evidence of the testimony of God, of the work of Christ that has been confirmed in you. And he wants them to receive the correction in a way where they're not going to take it as if, they are going to be re refrained and restricted to where it turns again. Maybe their misuse would lead to complete disuse. That is not the case. 
And as we read the context in chapter 12, 13, and 14, which must be taken as a seamless whole, you're going to see there are no prohibitions. Matter of fact, he's going to articulate specifically the diversity of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he tells them, guys, you can, you can, you can have a gift, but unless the heart and soul of the expression of that grace is not love, it's not going to benefit and have eternal impact and significance. So he's not saying, I'm going to tell you that about gifts and I'm going to explain them in detail to you and I'm going to talk about the diversity of how the Holy Spirit manifests himself, but forget what I just taught you in 1 Corinthians 12 because I'm just gonna tell you the most significant thing is love and love alone. No, it's it's the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, you know, manifesting his power through us, but us being motivated by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. These gifts being animated and magnified by the love of God that comes through it. So my motivation in prophesying, my motivation uh, in, in praying for the sick, my motivation in desiring to see, see signs and wonders and miracles in and among the church and, and manifested out of the church into the world is that we love the world that God loves. That's why Jesus went about doing good. And how, how did he do good? How, how do we quantify the goodness of God that was demonstrated through his life? It says he went about healing all those that were sick and ministering to those that were oppressed of the devil. I tell you what, uh, it's just not nice words that are going to deliver people from the oppression of the devil. It is just not nice, kind compassion that is going to help the sick. And what we've done is we have done down Christianity and made it so devoid of power that we think spiritual niceness can win the hearts of men. Well, people can be nice in the world and there is no distinct difference than somebody that models niceness, kindness in the world, compassion in the world, a tenderness towards somebody. And, and because they can mimic it, they can, they can see how the church has modeled this and they can parrot it and mimic it to where it almost looks authentic. The thing the world cannot mimic the thing the world cannot parrot is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in power. And so I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want authentic kindness, authentic genuineness, authentic love, authentic faith, authentic patience, authentic long-suffering, authentic self-control, not something that's based out of a human will or or self-will. I want the Holy Spirit to live through me in authentic Christ-like lifestyle. I want his life and love to be seen in my life. But at the same time, I want to marry Christ's likeness with dimensions of the power of the Holy Spirit 
to where as I try to explain and express to people how good God is, I want to be like Jesus going about doing good, healing the sick, and bringing deliverance to those that are oppressed of the devil. Because they the only thing that breaks the power of darkness and binds spirits of infirmity and oppression is the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no power that man possesses that can break the power of the enemy. Only Christ's power and his grace can do that. Now, I want to dive into this passage of scripture and give you another supporting scripture that shows you that there is the continuing ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Now we know Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about love and how that the gifts of the Spirit have to be infused with love. And in verse eight, he says, love will never end. The continuing love of God will never fade, never fail, never come to an end. But then he makes this distinction. He says, revelatory words like prophecy, they will pass away. There'll be a, a day and an hour in which every prophecy that any prophetic person or prophet has ever prophesied and has been unfulfilled, there'll be a day of complete fulfillment. Nothing that has ever been spoken in the past that was unfulfilled uh, will remain unfulfilled. There'll be a day of total fulfillment. I love this biblical phrase, it shall come to pass. Then it also says this, as for tongues, speaking in supernatural language that, that we've not learned or grown to understand, but is imparted to us by the, the grace of the Holy Spirit, that allows us to speak in a language we've never learned. It's called glossolalia in the Greek. It says, they will cease. As for knowledge, spiritual knowledge, scriptural knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, I've got to stop right there, but we're going to pick up in the next episode where we leave off today. So when we prophesy in part and see in part, when is the day, when is the day in which all of it's going to be fulfilled? When is it going to be? When will the day be when there's going to be no need for any Bible teachers to teach us the Bible? Because we will have attain unto the full spiritual knowledge of God. Hang on and we'll get to it in the next episode. I love you everybody. I hope you're enjoying this study. God bless you. What's up, everybody? This is Josh Furrow from the Summit Life Ministries team. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and have a blessed week.